Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Journal Podcasts. Hi, and welcome to the February 2022 episode of the EVJ Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Morgan. Today I'm joined by Francesca Bacatti talking about pelvic stress fractures in endurance horses and Hanukkah Hermans discussing the penetration of topical corticosteroids for equine recurrent uveitis. Francesca Bugatti is an assistant professor at the University of Perugia and we'll be covering her recent paper which you can find in the early view section on the EVJ website titled Bone Stress Injuries and Fatigue Fractures of the Pelvis in Endurance Horses. Francesca, thank you very much for joining us to discuss your recent paper on bone stress injuries and fatigue fractures of the pelvis in endurance horses. Um, Can I start by asking a generalised question? How do stress injuries and fatigue fractures occur in horses? Uh, Thank you, Dr Morgan, to invite me to do this podcast. Um, I'm really happy that this work has been selected to be discussed and presented to a large platea. Uh, well, every, everyone bet working with sport horses, especially race horses and endurance horses, know that stress injuries and fatigue fracture of lung and flat bones occur quite frequently. Basically, they are related to the process of adaptive bone remodeling that normally occurs during training. Mm, there are two main factors that affect the non-adaptive bone remodeling, consisting in the amount and the intensity uh, of the training. If one of both of these factors are unbalanced during the training of the horse and exceed the bone capacity to remodel, then subchondral or cortical bone damage can develop. Um, during adaptation to training, the bone normally reacts to strain and micro damage normally occur, which are threshold dependent and related to the number of strain cycle, magnitude and rate. However, the osteoplastic activity leading to bone resorption is faster than the osteoblast activity responsible for the reparation of the damaged tissue. So if insufficient time is given to the bone to adapt, then more damage may fall before healing. And this led to stress injuries and finally to fatigue fracture. In addition, there is also the theory of bone muscle unit that need to be considered for stress injury and fatic fracture of the pelvis. Muscles play an essential role because during exercise, the most important forces are created by muscles contraction and the bone adapt to them. Um, however, muscles adapt faster than bone and favor the development of fatic fracture, especially when there is a sudden increase in training or changes in the running surface. Okay, so in, in the UK, these are most often diagnosed in thoroughbreds used in racing, and they occur at predilection sites such as the ilial wing. Your paper looked at stress injuries in endurance horses um, based in the UAE. So what did you find were the main differences between the training regimes of these horses compared to thoroughbreds, for example? Um, Some differences between thoroughbred and endurance horses are obvious, as thoroughbred can be compared to sprint runners or short or middle distance runners, and endurance horses can be compared to marathon runners. So the main differences are the speed and the type of terrain during training and racing. 
Um, based on the 10 years of experience in the United Arab Emirates uh, of my colleague Massimo Puccetti, the first author of this paper, uh, endurance horses in the Emirates are generally trained at canter at 18-20 kilometers per hour, so lower speed than that of Trobret. And each training session ranges from 45 minutes up to four hours and is made several days per week. This depends on the level of the horse, is competing in 40, 80 kilometers or in longer race as international one, two or three starts, but also on the training schedule and the trainer's uh, preferences. Mm, this training protocol is generally used by some trainers that try to reduce the incidence of some injury as a proximal suspensory disease. Uh, or during the rehabilitation uh, to reduce the speed. Some other trainer train horses at 27, 30 kilometers per hour using the Trowbred racetrack. Uh, however, the speed is uh, also in these horses is less than that of Trowbred. This training is made on uh, deep dry sand of uh, 10 centimeter approximately of depth, uh, typical of the desert environment. Um, this kind of surface allows to reduce the speed necessary to obtain a good training of the cardiorespiratory system without reaching the maximal speed that these horses reach during races. Moreover, the drip dye sand decreases the impact forces on the distal limb and so may have a protective effect for some injuries uh, as proximal suspensory injuries and fetlock injuries. Um, However, exercise on soft and compliant surface increases the concentric muscles activity. And as I said previously, there is the need to adaptation on this type of surface. Um, however, also in Trobret, uh, the training on synthetic surfaces was demonstrated a risk factor for tibial and pelvic stress fracture in several studies. So what did you aim to look at in this paper and what did you hypothesize? Um, in this paper, we aim to report stress injuries and phatic fracture of the pelvis in uh, a relative large number of endurance horses uh, as they were, there were few cases uh, reported previously by Dr. Mischoff uh, interesting in endurance horses in the Emirates. Uh, we describe the clinical diagnostic imaging feature and the outcomes of the horses included. Um, at the beginning, uh, our hypothesis were that among all the sites, the iliac wing was the most common site affected, uh, like in Trobret, and that the number of competitive seasons and previous injuries in other areas would affect the development. Okay, so can you describe for us the inclusion criteria for your population of horses and how you assess them and categorise their injuries? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, we included all endurance horses in which a diagnosis of bone stress injury or fatic fracture of the pelvis was made by a complete ultrasound evaluation of the pelvis uh, that means uh, transcutaneous and transrectal approaches by the first author of the paper, Dr. Massimo Buccetti. Uh, traumatic fractures are not considered in this study. 
And Dr. Puccetti obtained the diagnosis uh, throughout a physical, so inspection, palpation, and dynamics examination, so walk on straight line and on the circle and trot, at least in the straight line, as some horses were so lame that it was impossible to check them on the circles. Uh, when the distal limb was excluded as the source of the problem, as I said previously, uh, a complete ultrasound exam of the pelvis was performed. Um, then the ultrasonographic findings were reviewed by me and Dr. Puccetti, and the injury classified depending on the side affected. Mainly, we categorize these fractures depending on the configuration as incomplete, complete, uh, or complete and displaced, and depending on the stage of the fracture as acute or chronic. Uh, finally, uh, all these injuries were classified into four fracture configuration that were isolated iliac fracture, including the wing and the shaft, isolated fracture of the floor of the pelvis, and in this group we included injuries of the pubis and ischial, and then there were isolated fracture of the tuberis sciaticum. Um, in some horses, there were more than one isolated fracture, and these horses were included in an additional group of multiple pelvis fractures. Um, this last group was only described, but not included in the statistical analysis performed. Okay, so what was the statistical analysis that you performed? Um, we built uh, multivariable logistic regression models after univariable and collinearity analysis for each fracture configuration group, excluding the, the multiple pelvic fracture, as I said, sorry. Um, to try to identify a relationship with feature of the horses, um, with the clinical findings, and uh, we also built an additional multivariable logistic regression model to investigate the variables uh, affecting the outcome. So it was considered successful if they returned to training or competing at the same or higher level and unsuccessful if not. And for this analysis, we include also the fracture configurations. Okay, so after analysis of your population, um, what did you find the signalment of the horses included um, was? And at what level were they training or competing? Um, from January uh, 2012 and March 2020, 60 endurance horses were diagnosed with stress injury and or fatty fracture of the pelvis. Uh, Anglo-Arabian, which were the 57% of the horses, were four times as likely to have an isolated iliac fracture compared to poor Arab, which were the remaining 43%. Um, as everybody knows, Anglo-Arabian have some percentage of throwbread in their blood and consequently a different conformation. Um, of the horse included, 67% were female and 33% were geldings. Mm, this is interesting uh, because uh, if we check from the FEI database uh, the gender of horses competing in the endurance races uh, in the Emirates during the study periods, 
gelding and males are overrepresented compared to female. So the prevalence of females in our cases is really high. And we know that the shape of the pelvis is different between males and females. And several studies report a predisposition of uh, the females for pelvic fracture. Uh, the median age was eight years old, but there were horses from five to 16 years of age. And there was no a real higher prevalence of horses of elite, intermediate, or novice level. So they were quite equally distributed. And did these horses suffer from previous injuries? Um, and when you examined them, how did they tend to present? So, yes. Uh, 52% of these horses suffer from previous uh, injuries. Uh, they didn't really present a different complaint or special clinical signs compared with horses without previous injury. Uh, however, they generally uh, show the pelvic problem shortly after get back to training at Canter. Okay. And what were the main findings seen during the clinical examination of of the whole population. So uh, it's important to know that these horses were examined for different reasons. Uh, the majority were evaluated because were lame during training or were eliminated during competition for irregular gait or metabolic reasons. Um, a substantial number of horses showed poor engagement and propulsion of the eye limbs during training. But there were some cases examined for intermittent lameness, a strange pattern of trot that was the trot on three ways, but also uh, of the canter, again with a tendency to move the eye limbs on uh, one side. Uh, poor engagement, intermittent lameness, and a strange pattern of canter were common in horses with chronic fracture of the iliac wing or of the floor of the pelvis. Uh, the main clinical findings during physical examination were asymmetry of the bony landmarks and atrophy of the gluteal muscles. 40% of these horses were lame at walk, with or without a reduction of the cranial phase of the step. And overall, the median grade of lameness was 3 on 5 grade, based on the IP grading scale. Um, severe lameness was more commonly detected in uh, horses that suffer complete and displaced fracture of the ilian wing or shaft, or complete fracture of the tuberis sciaticum and cranial fragmentation of the pubis. You discussed previously um, the four different fracture configurations you used for the paper. So what incidents of each did you diagnose and how many of these returned successfully to competition? So the, the number of fractures detected were relatively high. And in these 60 horses, there were 103 fractures affecting several bones of the pelvis alone or in combination. And for this reason, we classify the lesion detected in fracture configuration groups. Um, the majority of these horses had isolated iliac fracture, and uh, so the wing uh, and, uh, and the shaft, um, and approximately the half returned successfully to competition. 
Um, unfortunately, in this group, we can find the two horses submit to euthanasia and uh, both suffered a bilateral complete and displayed fracture of the iliac wings and bilateral dislocation of the sacroiliac joints. And also we have the three horses that were retired from the athletic career because of the unilateral complete and displaced fracture of the iliac wing. So horses with complete and displaced fracture have a guarded prognosis, and if the injury is bilateral, unfortunately the prognosis is fair when we uh, speak about the um, ilium. Ten horses had injury of the floor of the pelvis, so pubis or table or ramus of the ischium or bottom, and in nine um, they returned successfully to competition. Um, there were uh, nine cases with fracture of the tuberis chiaticum, and um, all these horses returned to race. So for fracture of the floor of the pelvis and tuberis chiaticum, the prognosis can be considered very good to excellent. Um, moreover, um, we had a substantial number of horses, uh, the 20%, that had multiple fractures. So um, the lesion involved more than one isolated fracture. For example, there were seven horses with injury of the iliac wing and the floor of the pelvis at the same time. There were also one horse with phatic fracture of the iliac wing, pubis, and ischium altogether. So for this group, it's more difficult to give a prognosis and they should be evaluated case by case. And this is the reason why they were not included in the statistical analysis. Uh, however, 62% of these horses returned successfully to competition and overall the prognosis can be considered good. And when using your logistic regression models that were quite thorough, um, what risk factors did you highlight for these fractures? Um, so for fracture configuration groups, we were able to find some horse-related and clinical examination-related factors that can increase the risk of these horses to have a specific injury. The breed, so the Anglo-Arabian, is a risk factor for isolated iliac fracture. Um, a higher degree of lameness uh, and the detection of trotting on three ways uh, increase the hopes uh, to have an injury of the floor of the pelvis. So the pubis and or the table ramus of the ischium. For tuberis chiaticum is different as for these horses um, and for these fractures, more likely, an asymmetry of uh, bone landmarks is detected at physical examination compared to the other fracture configuration. Um, unfortunately, we were not able in this study to identify risk factor affecting the outcome. Uh, we didn't have data about days per week of training of each horse or speed and distance of training. And so longitudinal prospective studies uh, are advisable. And did your results um, eventually agree or disagree with your hypotheses? Mm, well, some results agree and some disagree or partially agree. Um, we hypothesized that iliac wing was the most common pelvic injury 
and uh, that was has the iliac wing fractures represented the 58% of the injuries detected. And similarly to Trowbred, they were detected at the level of the sacroiliac joint in the majority and were bilateral in 50% of the cases. Mm, we hypothesize that number of competitive seasons and previous injuries would affect the development of a fracture of the pelvis. Um, from the results, number of competitive seasons didn't significantly affect the type of fracture. Uh, however, it's interesting to note that 48% of stress injuries and fatic fractures were detected in the first seasons in the Emirates. And this highlights again the importance to adaptation when they, there is a change in the training technique or surface. Um, however, we, we were not able to demonstrate that a previous injury was a risk factor for a specific fracture configuration group. So in contrast with our initial hypothesis. And what were the main limitations of this study? Thank you, Dr. Morgan, for this question. Um, <laughs> this study has some limitation uh, related to its uh, retrospective nature for the evaluation of the risk factors. And moreover, the main limitation is that we were able to detect distress, injuries of the pelvis only in horses training and competing on deep sound in the Emirates. They are not reported in uh, other countries. And uh, in a previous study that me and Dr. Paris did on orthopedics injuries in endurance horses in Italy, we were unable to find these lesions of the pelvis. Uh, however, uh, the investigation of the pelvis is highlighted in the present study. Um, finally, uh, we review steel images. But uh, um, still images uh, don't allow having all the information acquired during the real-time uh, examination. Uh, however, this was done only for statistical purpose, and Dr. Pochetti recorded all the information obtained to the, the real-time evaluation. Great. And what's your take-home message for clinicians listening to this? Uh, me and co-authors would like to give more, more than one message, if possible. And uh, um, fatigue fracture of the pelvis can affect endurance horses, similarly to other horses that are training with repetitive loading exercise. And these injuries may be considered in horses with poor performance and intermittent lameness. And... Do not forget to perform a complete ultrasound examination of the pelvis using the transrectal approach, uh, which is very useful for stress injuries and fatigue fracture of the pubis and ischion. Especially in horses showing lameness and moving on three ways, in which the distal limb was excluded as the source of the problem. Uh, finally, don't be scared by these injuries, as with appropriate diagnosis and rehabilitation, the prognosis overall can be good. Well, Francesca, thanks so much for giving us your time today to talk us through this really interesting study. Thank you, Dr. Morgan, for interest in this study and condition. 
And I hope your readers and listeners enjoy this podcast. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Moving on to our second guest, Hanukkah Hermans is an ECVS diplomat currently doing an equine ophthalmology PhD at Utrecht University, and she's also an independent equine consultant. She'll be discussing her recent paper titled Penetration of Topically Administered Dexamethasone Disodium Phosphate and Prednisolone Acetate into the Normal Equine Ocular Fluids. Annika, thank you so much for joining us to talk about your recent paper in EVJ. So we're covering the paper Penetration of Topically Administered Dexamethasone Disodium Phosphate and Prednisolone Acetate into the Normal Equine Ocular Fluids. So I'll start with an easy question. How common is ERU in, in Europe, um, equine recurrent uveitis? And what current treatment um, aims to prevent or cure this condition? Uh, thank you for inviting me to do this podcast and to talk about our study. Um, ERU has, about, has a prevalence of about uh, 7 to 10% in Europe, so it's uh, quite common. Um, and the aim of treatment is to eliminate infect inflammation. And as ERU is a recurrent disease, it is uh, very important to prevent these recurrences and uh, sequelae that, that happen with ERU. Um, and of course, to maintain vision, because a lot of horses with ERU become blind in the end. About 50% of the horses with ERU uh, will end blind. Uh, so they will yeah, uh, not have any vision. And what medications are currently available to practitioners for use with ERU? And what's most widely, widely used? Yeah, medical medical treatment uh, often consists of topical corticosteroids uh, in combination with uh, psychoplegics, atropine, and systemic uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, uh, the NSAIDs. Um, the corticosteroids that are used, uh, they are the most important drugs to decrease inflammation, and they are used topically alone or in combination with systemic corticosteroids. And there are different, uh, several different uh, commercially available corticosteroid pr preparation, um, including dexamethasone disodium phosphate solution and prednisolone acetate suspension that we used in our study. And your paper discusses the different penetration rates of these topically applied corticosteroids um, to the anterior and posterior chamber. Um, and you discuss it this in different species. So could you tell us a little bit about what these differences are between species and what routes of administration can help to improve penetration to these areas? Um, previous studies in humans, uh, rabbits, dogs and cats have shown uh, poor penetration of topically applied corticosteroids into the posterior segment of the eye. And this was also found in uh, for topical, topical dexamethasone ointment in the equine eye. Um, to achieve, achieve higher concentrations in the posterior segment of the globe, alternative routes of administration, such as subconjunctival or peribulbar injection or systemic, uh, oral or intramuscular administration are used uh, in other species and in human medicine as well. Um, yeah. And what, what were the aims and hypotheses of, of your study? Um, Scientific evidence of uh, the penetration and distribution of corticosteroids in the equine ocular fluids is very, very limited, and guidelines for their use are largely based on studies in other species or clinical experience. 
And currently there are no studies that directly compare dexamethasone disodium phosphate and prednisolone acetate. Um, and the studies that are available are very difficult to compare due to the use of different dosage regimes. Um, the aim of, the, of our study was to determine the penetration of both dexamethasone, um, dex, and prednisolone PRET into the aqueous humor, vitreous humor, and systemic circulation after repeated topical administration in ponies using the commercially available dexamethasone disodium phosphate and prednisolone acetate. And we hypothesized that after uh, adjustment for differences in dose, there would be no differences in the concentration of dex and PRET in the aqueous and vitreous humor as well as the blood and uh, we also think that concentrations of both corticosteroids would be lower in the vitreous humor compared to the aqueous humor. So could you tell us about the population you enrolled onto the study and the study design? Yeah uh, we used uh, 21 healthy Shetland pony mares um, with a median age of seven and a half years old um, these ponies were used in a large terminal orthopedic study and were to be euthanized regardless of participation in this study. Um, prior to the study, all, horse, all ponies had a thorough ophthalmic examination performed by an ECVO veterinary ophthalmologist. Um, and only ponies without any signs of ophthalmic inflammation were included in the study. Um, all the ponies were treated topically, um, bilaterally, every two hours for 24 hour, hours to mimic a very aggressive dosage uh, reg regimen for treating acute R ERU in an equine clinic and to reach a steady state concentration. The left eye was randomly assigned um, to one of the following treatments, 0.1% uh, of dexamethasone disodium phosphate or 1% prednisolone acetate. The right eye received the other treatments. Uh, one eye was treated with uh, 0.15 milligrams of dexamethasone disodium phosphate, and the other eye was simultaneously treated with 1.5 milligram of prednisolone acetate using a 1 milliliter syringe at each time point. And all syringes were pre-filled, and the bottles of uh, prednisolone acetate were tilted at least, about, at least uh, 10 times. Um, uh, animal handlers that were not involved in further study execution applied the medication into the lower conjunctival sac of the ponies. So after all the treatments were given over the 24 hours, what time points did you collect the samples and how did you perform this? Um, one sample from each eye per pony was taken at an exact time interval after administration of the last treatment. And we used uh, time points of T, uh, 5 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 120 minutes and 180 minutes after the last treatment. Uh, we used three ponies per time point. Um, prior to sampling, the ponies were sedated with uh, the tomidine hydrox chloride and uh, a catheter was placed in the right or left jugular vein. Blood samples were taken from the jugular catheter prior to, to anesthetic uh, induction and then general anesthesia was induced with ketamine and midazolam. The ponies were placed in dorsal recumbency and prior to sampling the conjunctival sac was rinsed with saline. Uh, during or just after euthanasia, the horses were euthanized with, euthanized with sodium pentobarbital, um, uh, then uh, a paracentesis of the anterior chamber and the vitreal bo body was performed um, using a needle coupled to a syringe. Um, 
And uh, the blood samples were centrifuged to uh, obtain serum and all samples were immediately transferred to microtubes and stored at the minus 80 until further analysis. And what further analysis did you carry out on the samples? Um, the DEX and PRET concentrations were measured by uh, liquid chromatography mass spectrometry, LCMS. Um, and uh, then the uh, statistical an analysis was done. Um, uh, for each fluid, the mean DEX and PRET concentration and the range and standard deviation were cal calculated. And then linear regression uh, models were used to do the statistical uh, data analysis. So what concentrations of both prednisolone and dexamethasone were found within the aqueous and vitreous humour and within the, the serum as well? By treating the eye topically every two hours for 24 hours, we uh, reached the steady state concentration um, in the aqueous humour. Uh, so the concentrations remained constant, uh, constant even at 180 minutes after administration. Uh, the mean DEX concentration of all the time points in aqueous humour was found to be 32.4 nanogram per milliliter. And the mean PRET concentration of all time points was 320 uh, 1.6 nanogram per milliliter in the aqueous humor, um, in the vitreous humor, and in the serum samples, we did not have um, a measurable DEX and PRET concentrations, as these concentrations were uh, both below the detection limit of the assay at all time points. And the serum samples? The serum samples as well, so the vitreous humor and the serum samples. Ah, okay, great. Um, uh, measurable concentrations. Um, so were these concentrations of prednisolone and dexamethasone found in the aqueous humour, were they sufficient to provide an anti-inflammatory effect to the uvea? Um, in vitro studies have shown that a minimum concentration of dexamethasone of 20 to 25 nanogram per milliliter is needed for anti-inflammatory effects. So um, um, as we reach that concentration, it should have anti-inflammatory effects in the aqueous humor. There's no studies that have looked at the minimum concentration of prednisolone needed for anti-inflammatory uh, effects. So uh, I cannot answer that um, Okay. And, and you mentioned that um, you were unable to identify any corticosteroids in the posterior chamber in the vitreous humour. Um, does that matter that no corticosteroids were identified in this, in this chamber if the aqueous humour bathes most of the uvea? Or do you need corticosteroids in this um, vitreous chamber to treat the choroids sufficiently? How does it work? Yeah, corticosteroids are necessary in the vitreous chamber to sufficiently treat the posterior segment of the eye and especially the choroid. Um, so it's important, especially in horses with uh, posterior uh, uveitis, to have uh, high levels of, of corticosteroids there. One uh, very important fact to mention, and um, we'll come back to that, is that um, uh, in our study, only healthy uh, equine eyes were used, so we did not use any uh, horses with ERU. Right, so that would be my, my next question. Would inflammatory conditions like ERU um, likely change the concentrations of corticosteroids found in each um, chamber? 
Yeah, it's it, it theoretically it's uh, the concentrations um, might be higher um, than in the current study due to the possible disturbances of the blood aqueous barrier in ice following inflammation, and this would lead to an increase in drug distribution into the ocular fluids, especially in the vitreous chamber. Uh, but at the current time, there's no literature that supports this statement. But this is what we believe um, that happens in horses with ERU. So overall, <clears throat> excuse me, overall, which topical treatment would be most effective in your opinion? And what treatment protocol would you suggest is best to treat the entire eye? Um, in, so in our study, there was no preference of uh, dexamethasone versus prednisolone uh, as the penetration of uh, dexamethasone and, pre and prednisolone was, uh, was uh, similar. Um, the thing that needs to be mentioned is that prednisolone is a, a suspension and it contains drug particles, so it can cause ocular discomfort. And also in our, our study, study, we observed minor discomfort in the eyes, especially treated with prednisolone acetate. It's very important to, to tell owners that uh, if prednisolone acetate is used, um, that shaking of the suspension before use is needed for adequate drug dispersion in the suspension. Uh, but in short, it's, yeah, again, it's our opinion that there's no significant evidence advocating the preference of either PRET or DEX in equine clinical practice. Um, in practice, uh, it's important with horses that have ERU to start aggressive treatment, uh, aggressive topical treatment initially, and then taper the effect, the, taper the treatment after 24 hours. If a horse has a severe posterior uveitis, I advise to treat horses with systemic corticosteroids as well um, to treat the posterior uh, um, segment. Um, and currently, I use systemic dexamethasone uh, for that. And what further studies are needed in this area or are you planning to conduct? Um, yes, uh, further studies are, are, are indicated, um, especially to determine the concentrations of corticosteroids in the equine ocular fluids after systemic uh, oral and uh, intramuscular or intravenous uh, uh, treatment and or conjunctival treatment, uh, as it would be very important to see if in these studies you will have will reach higher levels of corticosteroids into the vitreous uh, chamber. Um, and also what would be very important is to look at the concentrations of uh, corticosteroids and ocular fluids in horses with ophthalmic disease, so horses that have uh, ERU, and then see if these concentrations are different compared, different compared to our study uh, that we just currently did. And, and finally, for the clinicians listening, what would your take-home message be? Um, our conclusion was that there was no difference in penetration of dexamethasone, uh, disodium phosphate and prednisolone acetate into the aqueous humor uh, because there was no difference in the concentration uh, once uh, adjusted for dose. So um, um, that does not seem that there's no preference of dexamethasone or prednisolone. Um, the lack of penetration of dex and pret into the vitreous humor and undetectable serum concentrations suggests that other forms of administration, for example, oral or um, uh, intramuscular treatment or even subconjunctival treatment with uh, corticosteroids are required to reach the vitreous. So they could be indicated in cases of equine posterior uveitis. So horses in clinical practice with severe uh, posterior uveitis, I advise to also additionally treat with systemic corticosteroids for the moment.
Great. So thank you so much. That's an interesting study and very practically useful. Um, Hanukkah, thank you very much for giving us some of your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening and please tune in for our April edition. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Channel podcast. More about the subjects discussed today can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash evj.